0: From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway Eighty Nine. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Rhonda Ryder is a musician who is just as comfortable in a concert hall in front of thousands as she is in the great outdoors. She's an artist in residence of the Grand Canyon and Petrified Forest National Parks. We will definitely talk about that. Her cello chamber music recordings have been nominated for Grammy Awards and cited as Critics' Choice in both the New York Times and the Boston Globe. She currently serves as the chair of strings and on cello faculty for the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley and Boston University. Today, she's here in Studio 6 to play new music, compositions from living composers. We'll talk about how they tie into her artist-in-residency. We're first going to hear Transfigured Wood, Veclerta Holst, a piece by Eric Moe. We'll hear the first movement, Daybreak to Nightfall.
1: Thank you.
0: Transfigured Wood, the first movement, Daybreak to Nightfall, from the composition by Eric Moe. Rhonda Ryder, thank you for coming and playing for us today.
2: It's my pleasure to
0: be here. You know, I just have to ask, a piece like that that's so atmospheric, does it mean something different played outside?
2: Well, that's really interesting. You know, I think played outside, there's a whole different acoustic. And when you're in the Southwest, particularly in places like Petrified Forest, the way sound travels is really different from what we're used to in an urban setting. And so I think it does take on a whole life of its own.
0: Well, I'm so glad you're here. I've sort of jumped over the question, which I'll go back to now, which is that you are an artist, part of the Artist in Residence program with the National Parks, working with the Grand Canyon and Petrified Forest Parks with over 50 different parks. Did you apply for specific places?
2: I did. And, you know, it's something I think people aren't aware of, that the national parks do have artists in residence programs. I ran across an advertisement for the Grand Canyon residency program completely by accident. And I I thought, oh, they'll probably want painters and writers, and I'm not sure that they would want a musician. So I called the woman who runs the program, and she said, well, the last performer they had was the Cowboy Crooner, who sang and did rope <laughs> tricks. And he, I actually saw what he did. He's very good. Yes. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but the idea of a classical cellist coming in with uh, newly written classical works, I didn't know if they'd go for that. But I made an application and, and thankfully got the, the position. And the same with Petrified Forest.
0: So what is the day-to-day of an artist in residence or is that something you determine depending on your project?
2: It's really free and it's something really it depends on your project, just as you said. You're in residence there, so you live in the in the park itself. The things that you do for the park is you give a presentation. You give a concert or a demonstration or a reading if you're a writer. Or, you know, you may do painting outside so that people can watch you work. I gave a, a formal concert at Grand Canyon and also at Petrified Forest. But then I also went to various outlook points and just played. Mm. It's very fun. <laughs> <to>
0: hear it <laughs> coming back at, di- at, at different rates, bouncing <laughs> off the, the rock around you. The composers that you sought out, because you, you had to find the composers to write the pieces, as I understand. Yes. It. yes. Were they all people who are, for instance, I hear the harmonics at the beginning of what you just played for mm-hmm. us. Did you choose people who already knew your instrument well, or strings in general?
2: Yes, and I actually chose people that, um, most of the people who I knew very well also, mm. so that I would be able to collaborate with them. And some of these people I've known for 30 years. It's been fabulous.
0: Tell me about the piece we're about to hear. It's a first movement dancer from Topham which translates as petroglyphs.
2: Yes, it's the Hopi word for hammered rock, and it's our, you know, our, we would call them petroglyphs. In the petrified forest, as you're walking through that area, you'll come across these rock faces that have incredible petroglyphs. And uh, the composer Peter Child, who is at MIT, came across these petroglyphs and was just blown away. And so he thought, ah, he, he had to write a piece that some way spoke to those petroglyphs.
0: Well, let's hear this. We're about to hear a piece from a collection of pieces that are not even completely done being written yet. There's still some of them still coming in. Eventually will be, I'm sure, a recording. But if you look at past recordings, like the Grand Canyon Project that is from a couple of years ago, you can find, we'll tell you at the end, where you can find Rhonda Ryder's recordings. We'll hear the first movement, Dancer. Thank mm-hmm. you. Aptly named that first movement, Dancer from Topham Venny by Peter Child, Professor of Music at MIT. You feel the movement.
2: It's just, it's a delightful movement. It's really so much fun to play.
0: And usually only bass players get to do those those fall-offs <laughs> <laughs> when they're doing it's some true. jazz and stuff like that. We'll talk about new music yeah. in a later break. For I want to talk about instruments for just a minute. Mm-hmm. I've seen pictures of you playing what looks like a weathered very experienced wooden cello actually has uh, letters uh, of the alphabet stamped into the face of it. What what are those? That's right.
2: It's a mystery. The cello was made by Carlo Landolfi in 1760 in Milan. And the theory is that it was an instrument made as a loner instrument for a guy named Carlo Ferrari, who was sort of the yo-yo ma of his day. And every place he went to, they started making small cellos, and this cello is rather small— and though it was made by a really great maker, it was made in a hurry.
0: Mm. So
2: you see there are certain things that you can you can tell when you look at it that, okay, that was not exactly finished for royalty. That was made for someone to <laughs> to actually use., yeah. so but for this project, As you can see here in the studio, I'm not using that cello. I'm instead using a carbon fiber instrument that's black and shiny and very metallic.
0: Yes, I walked in and I I said, this is Darth Vader's cello. That's right. (laughs) It is from a galaxy long ago, far away. Is it the sound difference or weight difference for travel?
2: It's just very practical. When I was at the the Petrified Forest, I would be playing outside. Mm. And the beautiful old Italian instrument, I, I must not take it outside, especially if it's dry or if it's cold. Yeah. So um, so this cello is indestructible. And also, some of the pieces require scordatura, which means that I'm tuning the cello differently. And in two of the pieces, I'm actually tuning the strings higher, and so it puts more pressure on the top mm. of the instrument, and for an old instrument, that could be a problem.
0: The Petrified Forest specializes in dry. Yes. So I see why you don't want to take a precious 300-year-old <laughs> instrument, 400-year-old instrument out. Mm. You mentioned smaller cellos. Talk to yes. me about this. This is something you actually advocate.
2: Cellos come in all different sizes, and throughout the centuries, they've been made in different sizes. You know, some some instruments, uh, some larger instruments have really full, big sounds. Um, there are a number of people playing cello nowadays who are not very big people and who have maybe smaller hands, and for them, a smaller instrument is ideal. And for myself, being five foot two. It's nice to have a small instrument. <laughs> I love how you phrase
0: this. Online, uh, on a blog, it said, quote, one should not struggle to play the cello like someone hanging onto the mast of a ship in a raging storm. <laughs> Quite quite an image. I could just picture a very small person doing just that. So how did you first discover the carbon fiber cello and decide this is going to be right for this project?
2: Well, the carbon fiber cello is um, manufactured by um, Lewis and Clark, and it's actually uh, Louis Lugia, who's cellist in the Boston Symphony, who started making these. And I, I just was fascinated by it, and I thought wow, what a great solution for playing outside. So I went over and I tried a bunch of his instruments. And interestingly enough, they don't all sound exactly the same. They do have different qualities. I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah. The funny thing is I I was teaching a student at MIT, and uh, she was getting her PhD in carbon fiber, really for airplanes, and she used this cello to play on her final recital. And she looked at it and she said, oh, there are are air bubbles. I never would have gotten away with making something, you know, like this. I mean, (laughs) it's...
0: You could say, it's for the resonance.
2: Exactly, different standards.
0: Well, let's let you prepare. This is one of the pieces. We're about to hear a piece that does require tuning up. So I I have to read one of my favorite sections from what Rhonda Ryder has written about being an artist in residence. Uh, She says, the National Parks residency is not just about a project. It's also meant to be a time to renew and experiment in a natural setting, away from the usual distractions of job, internet, cell phone. I spent two weeks living at the park. My home was a historic casita across from the Painted Desert Inn. I have to admit, the first night, I couldn't sleep. And time during the first day stretched out as spaciously as the landscape. The silence at night was both wondrous and unnerving for this urban dweller. My only companions were small salamanders, a mouse, a white-tailed squirrel, crows, and one moonlit evening, owls. Which I think is a perfect setup for the vast steppe. From Laurie San Martin. Vast Step, a piece written by Laurie San Martin. Rhonda Ryder performing live in studio today. And this is all brand new music. We should mention that anything we're hearing today has maybe been heard by a few squirrels, an owl, a few visitors to the park, and and us.
2: That's correct. <laughs> we're in <laughs> a
0: really great company today. <laughs> Let me ask you about working directly with composers. Mm-hmm. So do you describe where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing, and then say, send me something that ties in, but is it was more interactive than that?
2: It's more interactive than that, but it varies composer to composer. Um, mm-hmm. I would tell the composers that I would be in residence of Petrified Forest, and that um, I'd ask them if they could write a piece based on some aspect of the park, and it could be anything, really. And so, you know, we've got the petri- the petroglyphs, and we've got uh, the... the Vista, you know, the view. Uh, We've got all sorts of things. Um, So I leave it up to the composers to write what they would like to. Where I collaborate with them is on sounds. Um, And, in fact, I had a composer in the Grand Canyon Project, who I was working very closely with, ask me if I could sound like a canyon wren. And I said, well, I don't know. Can you send me a recording of one? So he did, and I came up with something that sounded as much as I could sound like a canyon wren. And then he said, well, now, I'd like flocks of birds, So I came up with a few sounds that we tried out. At one point, he said, no, that's too many birds. So I had to come up with a different sound. You know, all sorts of, it's it's wonderful to work with composers because there's just no end to the imagination.
0: Interesting. Is that part of what draws you to new music? Is this process of creation?
2: Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think it's just one of the delights of being a musician today is working with composers and, you know, just seeing what you can come
0: up with. I think you're still probably known to play a Handel Quartet now and then.
2: Uh, yes, yes, still play classical music. In <laughs> fact, on Sunday, I have a concert of Ravel and Dvorak.
0: Ah. <laughs> so do you recommend to to new artists or performers that they don't try and jump over that training and that tradition on their way to new music?
2: Yes. I think it's really important to have the fundamentals, you know, to know, really understand how the instrument works. And then it's very freeing not to just stay with those older pieces, but to actually play the music of today,
0: you know. Mm. We'll give you a minute because I know now you have to tune down to play this next thing. On RhondaWriter.com, you'll find some interesting advice. And I found some terrific information on auditions, which isn't just to practice the audition piece, which everybody plays who's going to be auditioning. But Rhonda suggests practice the audition itself. The whole process, and she talks about everything from uh, checking your instrument is tuned, your music's in the correct order, you don't have to fumble, your bow is tightened, the end pin is out already before you go on, your shoulder rest is prepared, all of these things. I thought it would be very interesting. And sometimes, even the advice of sometimes, they'll say what you would like to play first. Know that before you begin. This is very practical advice for, for people auditioning. So you could check that out also at RhondaRyder.com. Here is a piece from Raven Chacon Invisible Arc.
1: Thank you.